Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. <clears throat> Today we're talking about the source of disease. Now, now I don't want you to walk through life thinking about dis-ease. Um, but our society is the heaviest medicated, the heaviest vaccinated, and the sickest society the world's ever seen. We're looking at literally a chronic disease epidemic. Now, it, and just just for the heck of it, if I said 60% of any population of any animal species, and this is Americans, adults in the U.S. have a chronic disease, 6 out of 10, that's 60%. 40% of the U.S. have two or more diseases. Now, 54% of children have a chronic illness or disease. And, it, you know, with all of this, measles fiasco no one's talking about autism no one's talking about the economy so this is totally a bait and switch but autism uh we're talking half of the kids according to you know senior scientists at at mit will be autistic by 2025 now they won't really know that until you're you know about 2030 because we're not checking kids every year we're checking eight-year-olds and it typically occurs at two. So let's let's just take a, a step back, okay? And and not at how we got here. Let's just look how bodies work, because obviously the people that are in charge of controlling you know controlling the healthcare system, uh, it's not working well. So what do we know so far? So far we know absolutely without a doubt there is an innate inborn intelligence in human beings. We know without a doubt the body is self-healing and self-regulating. We know from all of the the um, talks that we've done, we know the greatest immunologists on the planet say they don't know how the body works. Uh, we know defining disease and defining health, that's poorly defined. Uh, we know that disease symptoms, okay, like high blood pressure, um, cholesterol levels, inflammation, these aren't really diseases. They're the body adapting. And there's a difference between genetic and genetic expression. You express your genes based on physical, chemical, or emotional stressors. Uh, Now, I'm going to bring up a couple of uh, case studies. Now, one of them, this happened about eight years ago, um, that this patient came in with a tumor the size of a grapefruit and and an infant. Uh, inside of her baby, a little fetus growing, and a three-month-old fetus and a tumor the size of a grapefruit. And she, the surgeons were given her options of where we have to remove the tumor and the baby will be born deformed, so we recommend killing the kid and then removing the tumor. She wanted option three. She wanted to have the kid. And so she came to see me, and I had a diagnostic ultrasound machine at the time, and um, sure enough, there was the tumor. We did one baseline look. And then we literally started to adjust her to restore her body's function. See, in medical philosophy, the tumor is attacking the mom. In chiropractic and vitalistic philosophy, the body intelligently built the tumor to protect the mom and the child. So we need to restore that blood supply and nerve supply, literally to restore the body's adaptability and then the body could take care of the tumor. And sure enough, when the kid was born six months later, there's no tumor and the kid's fine. He's 10 years old now or eight, eight years old now. Um, 
I got this one comment off of one of our videos, and it and it's brilliant. Okay, quote: There is an ongoing conflict between absolute truth and perceived truth. The government presents a perceived truth as if it's absolute, although it is only a self-serving false narrative. They live on a diet of lies and deception, which in the end is a suicide menu. They rely on the age-old technique of repeating lies often enough and loud enough until they accept it as true. They believe that since uh, they control the media, they control the message. Hitler used the same techniques. (laughs) That's, <laughs> I mean, so we know this is crazy. Let's look at how your body actually works. I mean, we have 80% of immune systems in the digestive tract. We know neurotransmitters in the digestive tract. They call the digestive tract the enteric brain. So the digestive system literally is not just you breaking down nutrients so that you could use them. It literally has a, the main function of the body for immune system and neurotransmitters. Now, we have a nervous system composed of the brain and spinal cord. The automatic nervous system has the parasympathetic, has the rest, digest, and repair, and the sympathetic nervous system has the fight or flight. And they have actual locations inside of of the body. Now, when we look at frontiers of psychiatry, we know the vagus nerve, and this is the parasympathetic nervous system supply, um, moderates the gut-brain axis. Now, this is vital. Think of this. If you have an autonomic dysfunction, like uh, your body's in stress, or you've had a trauma and you have low parasympathetic activity, uh, this article goes in to state here, quote, it establishes one of the connections between the brain and the gastrointestinal tract and sends information about the state of the inner organs to the brain via sensory input from the fibers of the intestinal tract. Now, this is implicated in a causative factor of depression, uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease. We're looking at all of these different diseases have to do with an altered blood uh, nerve supply to the gut. When we look at annals of gastroenterology, now this is out of 2015, the title of the article is The Gut-Brain Axis, Interactions Between Enteric Microbiota, Central Enteric Nervous Systems. Think of this. This is beyond amazing. We have such a relationship with the bacteria, not just the bacteria, but the microbiota. So the bacteria, the viruses, the funguses, the parasites, all this stuff that live within and without you are vital for your brain function, that means we have a harmonious relationship. So when you're taught that your body is is exposed to germs and these germs are going to kill you, well, that's not actually how you're working. Now, anything that damages the microbiota damages the brain. That's right. If you damage the gut, this means if you're taking poisonous, toxic food, it damages the brain directly. So what kind of things can alter the microbiome? We're looking at absolutely every medication out there, from non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, we're talking Advil, Motrin, Aleve, to cholesterol mugs, osteoporosis medications, blood pressure medications, I mean, sedatives, anxiety, sleep medications, everything changes the microbiome. And we know that the ideology of chronic illness, now, figure this affects 60% of adults, 
40% of U.S. adults have more than one of these, and 54% uh, of children have a chronic illness or disease. So this affects the majority of our entire population, and they say, oh my gosh, these diseases don't exist. Let me rephrase that, okay? The chronic critical illness of disease, okay, the motor of it, this, the, the, the causative factor of this, okay, is alterations in autonomic nervous system. This means that the chronic critical illness is from physical, chemical, or emotional stress. It can't be that simple, but it is. If you try and look for the source of disease, the causative factor, and, and check out our delusion of diagnosis. That was, one of, that, that was one of my favorite health talks because it literally shows that the, the, most, the most common cause of these diseases, these chronic critical illnesses, are unknown, idiopathic. They don't know it. Um, so literally, you've got physical, chemical, and emotional stress and there's solutions for physical stress. You correct the structural and neurologic corrections. Uh, chemical stressors, we know oral chelation, IV chelation, sauna, and don't poison yourself with toxic stuff. That means no vaccines, medications, or toxic food. You know, if you're taking a medication, find out why you're taking it. Like if you've had an organ transplant, you're going to have to take some medications for the rest of your life. But if you're taking an Advil, Motrin, or Aleve for joint pain, that's insane. You've got to fix the joint pain, not take something toxic that can damage the, the, the literal joints themselves. And emotional um, at health. This has to do with the frontal lobe, anxiety, stress, depression, impulse control. So you can use neurolinguistic programming, cerebellar stimulation. I mean, literally just walking. Now, what kind of stressors are we under? First, we have environmental health. Uh, a journal article out of 2016. Now, what they said was in, in this article, glyphosate-based herbicides risk associated with exposure. They literally talk about regulatory estimates of tolerable daily inflicts for glyphosates in the United States and the EU are based on outdated science. They say that we're exposed to drinking water, participation in the air, this means it's in our rainwater, our air, and in our agricultural regions. And what does this cause? The glyphosates can blow holes in the intestinal tract, causing a leaky gut, because it damages the microbiota. Remember, damage in the microbiota damages the brain. <clears throat> and when people say there's no such thing as a leaky gut, let's look at, <laughs> um, here's the title of this article, and was published in December uh, 2011. Uh, increased intestinal permeability correlates with um, alpha-sucleonutin stain, staining and endotoxin exposure markers in early Parkinson's disease. What that means in English is leaky gut is seen uh, in Parkinson's patients. And so what causes that? Well, if you look at the Journal of Toxicology, glyphosates is one of them. Now, this is in our air, our water, and any non-organic bread products, along with a huge number of fruits and vegetables. Um, and they go in to describe a real cell impact of glyphosate-based herbicides in residues in food, 
feed the environment has to be considered, and the classification says carcinogens, mutagens, and reprotoxic is discussed. That means it's damaging the human's ability to regenerate tissue. Now, so we know this autonomic nervous system. We know um, that one part keeps you alive under stress and the other part regenerates the body. So how about we look at it a little bit different? How about we respect the body's processes? We know the body is self-healing and self-regulating. Instead of identifying high blood pressure as a disease and giving a medication to just lower it, how about we find out why? If we're looking at 95% of all diabetics out there are type 2 diabetics, how about we find the problem and correct it? I mean, it's too simple. Um, and Because are these really diseases? Are they uh, adaptations to stress? Uh, when we look at archives of internal medicine, now this goes back to 1995. Uh, the uh, effects of acute psychological stress on serum lipid levels, hemoconcentration, and blood viscosity. See, when you're under physical, chemical, or emotional stress, your blood gets thick, um, cholesterol levels go up, blood viscosity increases, so it gets thicker, because you're going into battle. This is a normal stress response, and they're saying just psychologic stress. So does this mean that the kid who's sitting home um, watching video games, fully vaccinated with his you know, 72 doses of 17 different vaccines in an extremely stressed, toxic environment, um, his blood cholesterol goes up and his blood sugar goes up, and his parents lovingly take him for a checkup, and he's misdiagnosed with type 2 diabetes, anxiety, stress, depression, and he's treated with metformin or glucophage, Prozac, muscle relaxants, pain relievers, sleep medications. I mean, it's mind-blowing. So what if you treat stress or high cholesterol with a cholesterol-lowering drug? Uh, well, we know that cholesterol is vital for estrogen projection, production, testosterone, progesterone, cortisone production, all of these things. Your body uses cholesterol. It's one of the most important molecules you make. And if you take a drug to lower cholesterol, according to the expert review of clinical pharmacology, it increases heart failure and hardening of the arteries. It's mind-blowing. Now, I'm going to show what a live blood cell analysis looks like after if someone's been in stress and how you can clean it up. The blood is vital. Blood has a function. That means its, it's job is to supply nutrients, it's to supply oxygen, it's to eliminate carbon dioxide. Um, it has white cells in there for immune system function. So what happens if the blood viscosity goes up? What happens if the stress levels go up? Okay, and the, and the blood viscosity, the lipids go up, the blood sugar goes up, all of this. Do you think the blood pressure has to go up as well? Absolutely. So scientists found, according to the University of Alabama, that um, if that the risk of stroke increased by about a third for each blood pressure medication. That means if you take a drug to lower your adaptive response, which is high blood pressure, you die early. If you look at higher blood pressure rates, okay, they typically had lower death rates. And this was an article in 2006 by the Journal of the American Medical Association. Heart failure patients 
with high systolic pressures and lower death rates. Now we're going to look at uh, breast cancer diagnosis. Now, now before it's diagnosed. Now, it, even the people giving mammograms, which I, I wouldn't recommend, they're even outlawed in some countries. Thermography is a, catches stuff up much more early. Um, they're even going to say the the smallest uh, person can find, the smallest um, tumor that a doctor can find is about the size of a head of a pin. But that also means it's been growing for nine years. So how would you like to know years before you get a cancer diagnosis? Well, I'm going to show what a thermography looks like. And we're going to be looking at the physical, chemical, and emotional stress that she has. And it, it's crazy because when you look at um, the doctors today, at what causes cancer, and it's mind-blowing because they talk about uh, age, as you age. Really, is it really older? Are there any older people that don't have cancer? Okay, family history, genetic. And they even say at the Mayo Clinic, keep in mind that having an inherited gene or genetic mutation doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get cancer. And then they, they talk about other causes of cancer, health conditions such as ulcerative colitis, uh, and chronic conditions can increase your risk of developing certain cancers. So when we got 60% of the U.S. population having a chronic critical illness, and you're talking, I'm getting ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease in seven and eight-year-old kids, what do you think their cancer rates are going to be like when they're in the 20s? And what is colitis, ulcerative colitis? Well, it has to do with physical, chemical, or emotional stress. The intestinal tract has been damaged, and we know that glyphosates can damage it. And in these, when you identify that this person is pooping blood, they have a massive reaction, we know that that, I mean, it's very, very easy to diagnose uh, inflammatory bowel disease. But knowing that if you disrupt the microbiome, and that has to happen, you know, months or years before the ulcerative colitis develops, could anxiety, stress, depression, uh, elevations in lipid levels, because this is putting you in a stress state, cause some of these conditions? Absolutely it can. Um, and then we look at, at people such as the Journal of Scientific Exploration, that is experimenting with energy medicine. Energy medicine, that means your body is self-healing and self-regulating, and they found that they were able to cure, um, let, me, let me read the quote, quote, we may conclude that we are apparently able to cure mammary adenocarcinoma in experimental demise on demand. We know that cancer is a metabolic disease. This means that if you're exposed to toxins, your body breaks down. Um, and, and this is hugely important. So some of the factors they're saying can cause um, problems at the cellular level uh, is toxic level over age, viral infections or viral exposure, vaccinations or medical, that's right, vaccinations can cause cancer, hypoxia, inflammation, which is really tissue damage, environmental toxins, radiation, and other carcinogens. That's the cause of cancer. It's not lack of chemotherapy, lack of radiation. So we have to look at it. So let's just look at viral, okay? Now, viruses are vital 
to your um, function and immune system. In fact, what is a virus? I mean, according to Fabio <coughs> Romero of the Institute of Human Virology, so this guy is a virologist, he says it is not a living organism. It's simply a well-organized molecular parasite. See, a virus lacks the ability to replicate on its own. It, it needs host DNA in order to replicate and, and reproduce. 45% of your genetic information of your DNA is viral. That's right. Almost half of your DNA, um, and this is the blueprints on how to rebuild your body, is viral. And think of this. The DNA is like a little virus hotel. And the reason is because many viruses can change in response to alterations in the environment. So this is a way that your your body and your your production of the cells can match stimulus from the environment. And again, vi viruses are vital for our ecosystem. Uh, they're able to move genetic information between hosts, but we still don't fully understand how this has influenced or continues to influence the evolution of the species. Think of that. So, I mean, viruses, 45% of your DNA is amazing. And they're not alive. They're like well-organized molecular parasites. Um, so now we have to look at what the, um, if, if it's not viruses that are causing this, uh, let's go back to um, when they were first discovering this. And let's look at Robert Koch. Now, he, this is brilliant. He discovered the microbe that was causing tuberculosis, conjunctivus, cholera, and a number of other diseases. I mean, he literally won his Nobel Prize in 1905 for his work with tuberculosis. <clears throat> and so they had this germ theory like the, that microbes were actually attacking the body. Um, and Theobald Smith, again, he lived from 1859 to 1934. Brilliant. We're talking pioneer epidemiologist, pathologist, bacteriologist. And he wrote up the germ theory in an equation, how it's the virulence of pathogens times the number of pathogens times the opening size divided by the resistance of host. So, and, you know, that was the, and again, germ theory, it's not germ fact. It's not germ absolute. So it's a germ theory that these, but according to Theobald Smith, we also have to factor in not just the pathogen, but the resistance of host. So what does the resistance of host mean? Well, that means other lifestyle factors. And, and even way back in 1968, the journal of Lancet talked about the limitations of the germ theory. They call it a gross oversimplification. And, and again, this was, you know, 50 years ago. The germ theory has become dogma, and it neglects many of the other factors which have a part to play in deciding whether the host germ environment complex leads to infection. Um, it, then we jump forward to 2004, and they're saying that the biomedical model of illness using the dogmatic germ theory doesn't work. Um, so, I mean, when we look at uh, Rudolf Virchow, now, again, he's reported the reputed father of the germ theory. What does he say? If I could live my life over again, I would devote it to proving that germs seek their natural habitat, habitat disease tissue, rather than being the cause of disease. 
Um, it, <laughs> flies don't cause garbage. And so when we and then again we're going back to where before the pharmaceutical industry took over medical science because they literally have they're responsible for funding the research to promote their products. So before this fiasco that we have, we had Beechamp and Pasteur and Bichamp, I think it is. Uh, and again, the, now this was out of the International Journal of Vaccines and Vaccination. And the title of the article is Who Had Their Finger on the Magic of Life? <clears throat> See, Pasteur believed that the microbes were the causative factor, that this microbe is going to cause the disease. But um, Bichamp said, hey, you know, is it really um, the, the bug causing it? And again, he just used common sense because if you're walking through a malaria-filled swamp and everybody gets, with, gets bit by mosquitoes uh, that contain malaria, are they all going to get it? No, because you have this mythical thing called the, the uh, immune system. And uh, the article goes on to state, at least we would have understood much more clearly uh, why we have uh, the present epidemic wave. Uh, fortunately, however, Beecham's work has been kept alive by a small successive band of truth seekers. Had, his, had the voice of his science not been silenced, much of humankind would have been spared the worst aspects of infectious or vital stressors of the 20th century. I mean, that's brilliant. Think of this. So now this discussion is coming up. So we don't have to be afraid of viruses, funguses, bacteria, or microbes. And in fact, biologist Stefan Lanka, he bet over 100,000 euros that measles isn't a virus, and he won. How does that work? Well, they go up to the German Supreme Court and two recognized laboratories, including the world's largest and leading genetic institute, arrived at exactly the same results independently. And the results prove that um, the authors of these six papers that were intended to win this $100,000 prize, um, literally the measles um, uh, virus case were wrong. As a direct result, all measles virologists are still wrong today. They have misinterpreted ordinary constituents of cells as part of the suspected measles virus. Uh, with all these results of the genetic test, all uh, thesis of existence of the measles virus has been scientifically disproven. And I know what you're saying. that That's impossible. They have vaccines against it. Okay, and sure enough, and, you know, of course, Dr. Uh, Stefan is also uh, denying that, that AIDS, okay, that HIV causes AIDS. Uh, but he's, you got to figure, this guy is a discoverer of one of the largest viruses ever discovered at the floor of the ocean. He's not the only one. There's a whole bunch of AIDS denialists saying, look, we've never identified the AIDS virus. Um, Etienne de Harvin. A prominent AIDS denialist, one of the group um, invited in 2000 uh, to South Africa by President uh, Thabo Mekiba, um, or Mebike, uh, to serve as presidential panel on AIDS. 
and he says that they haven't even identified it. So tonight we're going to go over some of the, um, uh, well, let's just say uh, information that these viruses um, really don't exist and that the focus of the medical system on them isn't, uh, it's not effective. But if you go through the actual process of getting this virus or, or having it replicate in your cells, which again, the virus isn't alive, it's just replicating using your host DNA, that it has a major positive of your um, immune system response, that there's actually um, less non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, atopic diseases, less hay fever, eczema, asthma, cardiovascular diseases, and measles that, that women get can pass on to their children. So infants born to, to unvaccinated mothers that have had measles exposure actually get healthy antibodies. <clears throat> it's a whole different world. So what is the cause of disease? Is it genetics, viruses, bacteria, funguses, yeast, chemical imbalances? No, man. The, the true cause is physical, chemical, and emotional stress. Um, look at the drugs. If you're prescribed drugs, um, uh, find the cause and, and correct the cause, and then you won't need the drugs anymore. Uh, vaccination is an, an unproven toxic science until they do double-blind placebo-controlled trials and until they test the entire vaccine schedule, obviously refuse them. And we have to look at how the immune system works. That's a false way to stimulate the immune system. Look at the physical stressors, the chemical stressors and emotional stressors, and you will thrive on this planet. Do not treat the symptom. Treat your immune system. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you. I love you. And, and happy Thanksgiving. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.